I never thought Mikey would be such the greatest warm-up guy in the world, right? I mean, how great was that? If ever we wanted a warm-up guy, Mikey's the man, right? It just feels like you're with me today, right? I mean, I don't have to say anything funny or clever. All I have to do is just stand up here and continue to talk about God's plan for us and our finances. How awesome is that, right? We didn't plan that, but it feels like that might have been a, a God-inspired moment right there. So uh, we're continuing this uh, series that, we've been, that we started talking about on the theme of what we call the ladder. Actually, I'm going to put this guy over here, I think, for the benefit of you all being able to see that. And, you know, whether you have built a house or changed a light bulb, you know that a ladder is great as something that will get you to a place where you could not get to on your own. You could not get to that place without it. And um, we want to just be continuing over this week and next week just to understand God's plan and God's values for us in terms of our generosity and where we, where we exist there. And just to sort of reflect on last week a little bit, we talked a little bit about what it means to be an initial giver, to make that decision that when we have income coming into our lives, that God gets the, the, the we, we choose God first that we make a choice to honor God first in our lives. And I feel, I feel this particular weight of responsibility on me today and over this last week as even just practically, there were, there were some of you that took a step to give that I believe have probably never done that before or Anthem at least. And so I just want to say that uh, I feel um, you know, this weight of responsibility to communicate what I believe is God's word today and nothing, nothing else really. Um, but more especially today, as I realize that some of you are taking that bold step to honor God with your finances. And so that means a lot. If you, if you, do, if you are here to give at Anthem this weekend, we give in two ways. One is through the generosity box at the back of the room. And if you're new here, you can put your Connect card in there as well. Uh, but the, the, the main way through which people are giving is, is sort of regular, regular giving online. And that's what's, in a sense, making the, the consistent difference. As a, as a parent, I had this experience a, a number of times where, where I would buy a, um, a, a, a present for Christmas for one of my kids. They thought it was Santa Claus. Um, there's one on the front row, but like, you know, uh, not Santa Claus, but at least he's on the front row. But, um, you know, I'd buy a present for the kids at Christmas. And, uh, you know, perhaps it's because they didn't realize it had come from me. But in no time at all, when I wanted to ask for it, and play with it. You know, like, hey, let me check this out. There'd be this thing when the kids are little, no, this is mine, right? We move very quickly from those things that have been given to us to being able to say, this is mine. And when it comes to our money and our toys and our resources, we need a, we need a paradigm shift in our thinking if we're going to be followers of Christ, because we need to be reminded that our money comes from God. And as uh, you know, as people eager not to let a good thing get away, very often we want to clasp and grasp what it is that might just so easily run away from us. Jesus said in, in Matthew 6, he said, don't store up treasure on this earth. Uh, because essentially everything that you store up on this earth, and have you ever thought about this? Everything that you, uh, you amass on this earth is going to end up in some form of landfill. Everything that we spend our money on, everything that we accumulate is going to end up in a landfill. We said, store up your treasure in heaven because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So there's this reminder here that as we're generous, we're reminded to, to be building an eternal storehouse, to be storing up resources eternally, not on earth. 
And so today we're going to go Old Testament here, and I want to take you right back to the very beginning of the Bible, just to Genesis chapter 14, and I want to introduce you to a character whose name is Melchizedek. Everybody say Melchizedek. All right. You've never probably done many Bible studies on Melchizedek, but we're going to kind of look at uh, Melchizedek's life a little bit today. And there's, um, uh, just to give you a bit of the backstory, there's this time when Abraham's uh, ne- nephew, uh, Abraham is sort of the principal character this part of the, the book of Genesis, and he's the main person through which God is communicating his love to the, to the people of, uh, of Israel. And uh, Abraham's nephew gets taken by these five Canaanite kings. And so Abraham and his men pull off this daring nighttime raid, manage to rout all these enemies. And uh, it's an impressive battle uh, and against all odds type victory. And they come, Abraham comes away with all these spoils of war, you know, the wealth and all the money and everything that he might get from that. And, you know, there's a lot we don't know about this character Melchizedek. He comes into this story really quickly and exits really quickly as well. And he's not mentioned, and as, 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 as you may know, may or, not, may or may not know, most of the principal characters in the Old Testament of the Bible, you get to, to know their lineage, you get to know their genealogy or their kind of ancestry.com on these people and where they come from and who their descendants are and that kind of thing. But Melchizedek's not like this. He just kind of like appears for a few verses, seems to have this really significant role, and then he exits. And then you barely hear about him until he's quoted at the very end of the New Testament. We know that Melchizedek is known as the king of Salem, and nobody really knows where Salem is. Some think it might just be the beginning of Jerusalem, but that's not particularly clear already. He's described as being the priest of the Most High God which is really odd right back in the book of Genesis in the beginning of those Hebrew scriptures because there was no temple for him to be priest of. There was no temple back then. So for Melchizedek to be described as the priest of the Most High God, that was really odd as well as since most of God's communication at that time was going through this guy named Abraham. So we don't really know what the priest of the Most High God was. God was only communicating with Abraham, and nobody really knows Melchizedek's background, how he knew God, and he never shows up in history again. But he proclaims this promise over over Abraham. And so let's just read this passage of Scripture here from Genesis chapter 14. Uh, Abraham's coming back with like the spoils of war, and it says, Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. Now that kind of odd sort of thing that takes place there that hasn't happened anywhere else. He was priest of God Most High, and he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth. And praise be to God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. So there's this unmistakable blessing that's bestowed on to Abraham by, by Melchizedek, and Abraham's response is to give Melchizedek a tenth of everything. It's as if he was God's representative to Abraham, although we don't know anything about who he is, and we don't know much about you know, what, what was going on in his life, or, or how he got to that spot, or how Abraham knew him, or, or what it all meant. Abraham gave a tenth, or as often as described in, in sort of religious culture, a tithe of everything. And, he, and we probably know what that means. We know what it means to give a tenth, but all, all through the, the, the Old Testament and in the New, you, you see descriptions of people giving a tithe to God, a tenth. 
Now, I know that, you know, after Mikey's great attempts to be the best warm-up guy already, some of us are starting to shudder at this point, and we're like, okay, this could put us on edge because Colin's taking this, this ladder thing a little bit further um, and, you know, making the whole uh, uh, financial conversation a bit tougher as we talk about tithing. And remember, as we talk about it, this ladder is here to, 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 to uh, remind us that God wants something, not wants something from us, but God wants something for us. And whenever we understand God's principles on giving, it's to understand that we're, we're learning that God wants something for us, not from something from us. And we're so tied up with, with money being the thing that creates for us our security, um, our satisfaction and significance. And these are the things I talked about a little bit uh, last week, that we can sometimes look, for, uh, uh, look to money for our sense of security, satisfaction, and significance. But um, I want to bring us to this next step in the ladder today where, where we learn what it would be like to be, I'm going to try and get this straight, where we learn what it would be like to be a proportional giver, to understand what it would be like to give in relation to what God has given us. Now, usually when you hear about tithing, you hear it from a, a, another passage of Scripture in the Bible, which is at the very end of the Old Testament. So we start at the very beginning of the, the, the Old Testament. We've gone to the very end of the Old Testament where we hear one of the prophets, his name was Malachi, talk to the nation of Israel about their, um, about their own giving. And uh, in Malachi chapter 3, it starts by saying, uh, in verse 8, it says this, Will a mere mortal rob God? And remember, this is... God speaking through the prophet Malachi. Will a mere mortal rob God, yet you rob me? But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse. Your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Next one. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Okay, that's a, that's a big passage of Scripture with a few things that I think we want to learn from. Abraham started out this practice of tithing at the very beginning of the Bible, and at the very end of the Old Testament, this truth from Malachi reminds us that this is still a thing. Some key truths, first things, uh, first of three truths that we can learn from this passage of Scripture. The first thing, if I'm not tithing, I'm robbing. Remember, this is God saying this, not me. This is the, the Bible. Malachi said, bring the whole tithe to God. So less, less than a tithe is partial obedience to God. And partial obedience is partial. All right? So Nelson Searcy, who's a pastor of the Journey Church in New York, wrote a book called The Generosity Ladder, from which we got some of our ideas for this series. And um, uh, he says this, you know, what, what would it be like if, if uh, um, you know, a wife asks her husband, hey, honey, have you been faithful to me? And he says, oh, yeah, partially, you know, how would that work? I've been faithful about 50% of the time. You know, in some areas, partial obedience is considered a betrayal. It's a tough truth. It's a tough word to hear. That Number one, that, that, that not tithing is partial obedience and it's like robbing God. Second truth to learn from this passage of Scripture, that not tithing leads to not being fully blessed by God. 
If you thought this was like getting edgy, we're not done yet, right? The scripture says, if I'm not tithing, the, 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 the nation of Israel was told, you're, you're under a curse because you're not giving. It doesn't mean that God will make, I don't think that means that God's going to make bad things happen to you every day, that your Wi-Fi is going to keep going out and, you know, you're like, your TV is like stuck on a channel that only plays Dancing with the Stars or something like that, that you're just like, ah, oh, it's just agony I'm in constantly. But, you know, I think it was, as Nelson Searcy says, it, it, what, it, what, it, what it could look like, what could that could look like, could look like going to bed every night worrying about money. It could look like arguing about money with the people that we love the most, living in the fear that we're going to lose everything that we have. Whereas tithing, the Bible says, opens up an opportunity and an avenue for God to bless in ways that we wouldn't experience when we're not. From my own experience, I would personally rather live on 90% of my income but experience the blessing of God than keep 100% of my income not uh, and wondering is, uh, am I creating a withholding from God of what should be uh, an area where he should be blessing me? The third truth of this passage of Scripture is this, that the, this is the only command where you see God say this in the, in the Scriptures, test me in this. Wow. So out of 23,000 verses in the Bible, only one time, only one of those, in the Old Testament, out of 611 commands, there's only one command where God says, hey, try me out. Test me. See if I'm faithful. See if I fulfill my promise. Give the full tithe and just see if I don't bless you. And I think God knows that the biggest and most frightening and most sensitive nerve in our body goes from our heart, uh, from from our, our heart to our wallet, you know, because we know how what we, we treat as ours is such a sensitive area for us. Now, a quick um, caveat here for anybody who feels like, whoa, preacher, you just hit me big time here with something I was not expecting like this. I would love to hear about Jesus uh, and not to hear about this kind of subject. But if you are still in the process of figuring out whether you believe that Jesus Christ is Lord, whether you are would say you don't even know whether you're a Christian or not, and you're like, I, I, this, is, this is way beyond where I'm at. I want to just give you a sort of a, a little bit of an out here in, in saying, take all the time that you need, but keep exploring Jesus, and then respond to whatever way that God nudges you. Keep exploring Jesus, and if this doesn't feel like that's not something I can buy into just yet because I, I'm not a Christian, well, just put press pause on this one, and, and you, you know, you don't have to sort of believe everything to obey Jesus and to follow Jesus. Um, but if you're in that place, I want to just to let you know, you know, this message is for those who are, who are Christians today. But however, I know that there's people here probably thinking, well, wait a minute, I show up, I serve, I get to know people, I attend a group, I, you know, I read my Bible and pray every day, I worship extravagantly, you know, what, but, but, but I don't give because, hey, I do all those other things. And there's, there's a number of reasons, I think, why, why, we, why we don't give. And I just want to sort of think about some of those today. Um, because unless we sort of address some of those thoughts about why perhaps we don't give, I don't think we're going to really be able to look at maybe what, what is the Bible teaching and what should I do? So the, the, the first reason that people often will mention is that, hey, tithing is like an Old Testament thing. 
like we're not under that Old Testament law anymore. We're under, we're under the grace of God. And that's not totally true. If you look in Matthew 23, Matthew 23, verse 23, and we'll put that up on the screen here. Uh, Jesus was talking to the Pharisees, these very religious teachers of the law. And he says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices. These guys were like tithing to the max. They were just like measuring out. Just they would pick some spices and then they would tithe the tiniest thing because they thought this was the way to get holy. But he says, you've, you've neglected the more important matters of the law, like justice and mercy and faithfulness. And he says, you should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. So his message in that point is about justice, and it's about mercy, and it's about faithfulness to God. But he's reminding them, don't stop doing what the law taught you to do. Continue to do that, but remember justice and mercy as well. Another reason why, why people might say they, they don't give is because um, I need to save money before I tie. I need to save before I give. And saving's a biblical practice. And saving is mentioned all through the book of Proverbs and in other places in the, in, in, in the Bible too. And it's a biblical principle, but it puts me at the center, whereas giving puts God at the center. It puts God over everything. Some might say, I tithe my time. And, um, you know, giving of our time is a good thing. I don't think I see anybody saying, well, I, I, I do 2.4 hours of service to God every day, and I work that out meticulously or anything like that. But very often it's easy for us to say, well, I feel like this, this time is my gift to God. However, if you look at the Scriptures, the, the, there's never a, a, any sort of a comparison between giving your time instead of giving our resources. Giving, I believe, giving our, our lives to Christ, and I remember saying this to, to uh, sort of the early uh, core of people that began Anthem a year or two ago, was always going to take our time, talent, and treasure. It was always going to stretch us in those areas of our time and our talent, the, the specific resources and gifts that God has given to us, as well as our treasure, as well as financially. And tithing is always linked to God's desire for us to respond to Him with our resources, Maybe, reason, maybe the fourth reason is that people think, well, I don't, I don't agree that, with the way that the church's money is being spent. And uh, others might say, I've had a bad experience with church and money. And if that's you, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you've, you've come to that place where you feel, no, what's, what's mine is mine because I feel like I haven't found a church yet that I believe um, honors God financially. There was a, um, a news report that I saw last week that... Um, said, uh, watch this, Florida church sends a $1,000 connection, collection notice to single mother because she didn't tithe. Um, and, uh, you know, it's usually Florida man, isn't it? But this is like Florida church who's like getting in trouble here. And uh, can you imagine that? Like, I cannot imagine any organization calling itself a church, sending a collection notice, judging somebody on their relationship with God in such a public and legal manner. And, and I don't uh, bring this with any intent to control, manipulate, or to, uh, or to judge individuals in that way. But I do, I do feel like it's at my responsibility to bring the teaching of the Word of God. So people um, might have this reason to say, well, I don't trust the church. And I want to encourage you from that point of view, I, I hope that 
you understand, and more and more as time goes on, that we are an open book as far as our finances. And if you have any questions, myself or Liz would love to talk to you about that and um, you know, share details. We hope to have a, a, a time, a Sunday towards the end of January, where we'd love to kind of lay out everything about where our anthem's at financially, where we're going. And so on a sort of specific anthem side, we want to kind of communicate that. And we'll, we'll let you know very soon when that date it is, and it will be on the events page of the, of the, the website as well. And I want to encourage you, if you end up feeling like that you still wouldn't trust Anthem as a church, this is much more about you and your relationship with God, not just you and one particular church. So I'd encourage you, as much as I wouldn't want anybody to leave, find a church where you re- you believe that you believe it and you can invest your resources in God's way with all of your heart. Number five. Some people say, I just can't afford it. I just can't afford to give. If I, I, if I made $100,000 a year, then maybe, but I only make $50,000 a year and I can't afford to give. And I honestly think that if somebody says, uh, at the point where they're earning $50,000, I'd tithe if I was earning $100,000, I don't honestly think that would ever happen. Because I think God's call for us to be faithful, it always begins with today. It always begins with us to, to, to respond to God's call, to take a step and to trust Him. And uh, it was John D. Rockefeller who would have been one of the, the, who was the richest person when he lived. And even by today's standards, he would have been the richest person that ever lived as well, except in the ancient world where you can't kind of clarify the numbers or anything. But he said this, I would never have been able to tithe the first million dollars I ever made if I had not tithed my first salary, which was $1.50 a week. That's the richest man in, in modern history speaking. The key is beginning where we are. And that's why tithing is a proportional gift. It's not based on what we earn. It's a proportion of what we earn. And I do it because it's a way where I say I'm putting God first in my life and com- committing to making Him first in my life. Now, this, this, uh, this, this uh, last one is, is interesting. Like I tithe, but I don't tithe to the church. Now, let's go back to Malachi on this, that passage of Scripture that we read earlier. Uh, Malachi 3.10 says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Remember, Jesus was challenging His people, His followers, store up treasures in heaven. He was using this analogy of a storehouse, just like Malachi talked. And He says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Malachi's call from God was for the for the, 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 the temple to be a place of resources. And this, this word storehouse is a euphemism for God's temple. And the food in my house refers to the ongoing work of God in the temple and its ministry. Since Jesus died on the cross, those of you who know much about the resurrection may or may not know that when Jesus died on the cross and took His last breath, in, in Jerusalem, the temple curtain which separated the Holy of Holies, the most holy place from where kind of normal people could hang out, the Bible says that the, the, the temple curtain tore in two from top to bottom, that something unique was taking place about the, the, uh, about the presence of God. No longer was there, there was this closed temple, but now the work of God is done through His church. And I believe, honestly, that God is calling us for our tithes to go to Him through the church and for anything else to be on top of that. We'll talk about a little bit more about that next week. So how do I practically make this work? How do I uh, practically get into the, the, the situation where I'm a proportional giver? 
you know, uh, Dave Ramsey, who I've mentioned, and if you don't follow Dave Ramsey as a, as a financial guru, if you're in financial trouble and you're like, I need to get my life back on track in so many ways financially with budgeting and investments and, and, and God's ways in my life, I would encourage you to just go on YouTube, find Dave Ramsey, find Financial Peace University, and he's got great uh, tips and teaching, and his daughter does the same as well, budgeting, has got some great material there. Dave Ramsey and Nelson Searcy basically saying the same thing. To, to those of us who are in debt, that 10% of our income should go towards paying off debt. Sorry, t- sorry, 10% of us, our income should go towards tithing. 10% of our income sh- should go towards paying off debt. And uh, the third 10% towards savings. And we live on the other, uh, the other 70%. So those of us who are, aren't in debt, they both say 10% towards tithing, 10% towards savings, and 10% towards investments, long-term investments. And you've got these guys who are both uh, just experts in their field, both saying the same thing. Live on 70% of your income. And at the same time, um, you know, th- this, this giving is not something that we have to do. It's something that we get to do. It's part of our worship. And we can't at the same time have mentioned that as followers of Christ, we have no obligation. So, so here's the challenge. Most of us who are thinking about who we want to be in, in 2020 and the kind of people that we want to be in 2020, we're not going to really put any of those things into serious thought until that week between Christmas and New Year, right? You know, you've had all those conversations around the, the Christmas table where you're eating too much and we're just thinking about ourselves a lot. And then there's those few days afterwards where we really think, okay, this is the year when I get fit. This is the year when I get healthy. This is the year when I sort my finances out. This is the year when I do this or that or the other. But I want to encourage you to start now. Start now working towards becoming a proportional giver, using, putting biblical principles and practices into your life as far as your giving. You know, um, in a few moments, we're going, to, we're going to close with worship. We're going to spend a few moments together adoring Jesus. And, but worship isn't just that activity of singing and raising our hands and praising God. You know, I love all of that. But uh, I give online each month, and when my, when my tithe comes out of my bank account on like the second or the third of the month, something like that, I am deciding to make an act of worship. And it kind of happens without me knowing now. It kind of happens, but every, trust me, I know every time I look at my finances and I look at you know, how things are going, whether oh, we've got to be careful here or, or something like that, I know I'm reminded of that commitment. I've remi- I'm reminding myself of that act of worship that I've decided to make on an ongoing basis to put God first in my life. It's me saying, God, you're in charge. And I worship you today with the one thing that I have a tendency to want to hold on to. Now, let's wrap this up and take this all the way back to Melchizedek. So Melchizedek, remember this odd character in the Bible who is mentioned just for a couple of verses in the early chapters of of Genesis. Never shows up later else, but he's just mentioned very briefly towards the end of the Bible in the book of Hebrews, a book who... Uh, a manuscript where we don't even know exactly who wrote that book. But, but Melchizedek, this odd king-priest character, just all of a sudden reappears in the book of Hebrews, a letter that was written to the Hebrew church. 
And Hebrews 5, 6 mentions this. It says, you are a priest forever. He says, he says in another place, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Now, let's leave that up there for a moment. It's talking about Jesus right there. It's talking about Jesus being an eternal priest in the order of Melchizedek. Now, that's a really weird thing to say. It's almost as if it's saying Jesus was like, Melchizedek was like a, like a type of Christ. He was like a, a precursor, a, a pre-Christ. Some say that it may have been a pre-incarnate version of Jesus arriving on earth for that period of time to bring that message to Abraham. You see, Jesus became the source of salvation for everyone who would trust Him. And, we're, uh, and, and uh, uh, Jesus was designated by God to be a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. You see what that's saying? So God, you see, God's blessing was pronounced on Abraham. God's victory, the victory in Abraham's life was declared and, uh, and declared by and through Melchizedek. And so Abraham responded by giving a tenth of all he was to God through Melchizedek. So you know the number one reason to tithe? It's because Jesus is your Melchizedek. Jesus is our source of eternal salvation. And I tithe to Jesus, and I tithe to Jesus' mission because He is my Melchizedek. He's this, this mysterious individual that I don't fully understand. He has this eternal lineage. He doesn't start. He doesn't end. And He came and He blessed me. He poured upon me everything I had. Without Him, I wouldn't have anything if it wasn't for God's blessing on my life. And Jesus is the one who secured for me the, the blessing that matters most in my life, my eternal relationship with God. And as we wrap this up today, I'd like us to, to stand and, and close in prayer together. Go ahead and stand and we'll, uh, we'll sing together in a moment. But Melchizedek is this myster mysterious figure in, in Scripture and Jesus' love for us is nothing but a mystery. I don't, I don't understand why Jesus did all that he did for me. I don't understand why Jesus went to such great lengths for me, that would cost him his life and a brutal death for me to have an experience and a relationship with God. It's a mystery. I don't believe it. I, I, I don't understand it, but I believe it. And honestly, today I can worship him and I can honor him and you and I can worship him when we when we give online through the week or when we give at the back and we make those decisions that determine that God comes first in our life and the blessing that He has poured out on us gets responded as followers of Jesus, not as a child who's trying to grasp onto what we think is ours. But let's pray together today. Just ask for God's grace to be on us as we, as we look forward to the future and look to being people who are proportional givers. Let's pray together. Lord, I, I pray that whenever your word comes upon us, we won't have that thought or that tendency to rewrite Scripture or to, as Thomas Jefferson was famous for doing, cut out parts of, of uh passages of Scripture in the Bible. 
God, we don't want to be those, those people who, are, who like to, to push past parts of your call to us aside. But we want to respond to your call today, Lord. And God, we do it as everything in the context of our worship and our devotion to you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. shift in our thinking to complete and utter dependence on you. Father, I pray that you'll make this an, an, an issue of, of, of us and you, where we will gradually experience you receiving our obedience and our faith in every area of our lives. And so we dedicate this, this area of the financial arena to you uh, today, and we pray that you'll just continue to speak to us as these days and this, this week goes on. We put our trust and hope in you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. See you next week.